I'm Andy Stevenson and welcome to another episode of A Winning Mindset, Lessons from the Paralympics, brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing partner, Alliance. Together, our aim is for these podcasts to help you move forward in all aspects of your personal and professional lives. By hearing from Paralympic stars, you'll be introduced to stories that inspire and change the way you think. Stories of facing life's challenges with confidence, determination and excellence and the true power of having the right team behind you. Please do subscribe and listen to my previous conversations with Hollywood actor RJ Mitty and Paralympic stars such as Johnny Peacock and Grace Wembalua. In this episode, we're about to hear from Croatian snowboarder Bruno Bosniak. He got into snowboarding as a youngster and was on the verge of the Olympics before fate intervened and instead he ended up making history as Croatia's first ever winter Paralympic medalist. Now there is a bit of adult language in this episode but when you hear what Bruno's been through I think you'll understand why. Bruno I spent a lot of time with the British snowboarders out in Pyeongchang and is it fair to say you consider yourselves a different breed to other winter sports people like alpine skiers for example? Yeah yeah for sure but not in the case like we're better or something like that. We are opponents and we want to beat each other and we are fighting for it. We are training for it. It's it's a serious thing. It's a very dangerous thing. But still, we are like a family. And I think it's maybe also because it's of this diff- uh, dangerous border cross thing where we all know that we can die at any moment. and And maybe that's something that connects us this this knowledge about how how dangerous it is you said there's something very powerful you said we all know we can die at any moment and that brings us on to the day of of the qualification event ahead of the 2006 winter olympics in turin i'll underline that again at this point you were aiming for the olympics what do you remember about the day of your crash and the crash itself i remember everything I never lost my consciousness. We were three guys going on this last jump together. One was behind me a little bit, and then he came under my board, I think, and then he spinned me forward with this. When I was in the air, five or six meters high, and we were coming with 60 kilometers per hour or something. So I was flying over the landing, and in the air, I knew, like, okay, that's going to be a big crash. The strange thing is that... In the air, when I saw it, it's going to be a big crash. I had time to look. I was looking left and right on my hands. I was po- I had a good position on the board. I was compact. I didn't understand why I have this forward spin. And then there is like a moment where I don't see anything, like losing consciousness for a moment. And then the next thing I see is just crashing into the ground. Because of this moment in the air, I didn't even put my hands in front. So I just crashed with my hand in the ground and then I was um, sliding through the finish line. And while I was sliding, I just recognized something's wrong, but not more. And then when I was lying there in the finish and I wanted to move, then I recognized that I can't move. The craziest thing about that was it's not only that I could not move, it was the body was not here. <laughs> I just felt my head and nothing else. It was it was really crazy. 
you can't can't describe this to to someone who hasn't experienced it. But yeah, I felt that I'm just ahead, and then I already cried like I don't feel my body, and everyone was running to me because they all thought I'm dead. Because after the my head crashed into the ground, my goggles were torn off the helmet and flying meters through the air because the crash was so hard. And yeah, all people were running here. My ex-girlfriend was also watching. She was a physiotherapist. I heard her crying from far away, like, don't touch him, don't touch him. There was also a doctor and they turned me around. And then there was this first moment where I started to feel my body again. That was really, <laughs> really nice. And uh, then I heard the doctor telling on the, on the walkie-talkie that, yeah, in the spinal cord and that this is probably cut and that was a shock for me but then my girlfriend said it's incomplete and that was something that I was hanging on like okay it's incomplete it's not totally cut and then I just wanted to fall asleep and let the doctors make their job and wake up and everything's fine but after I woke up it was not fine so I couldn't move anything I could just move my shoulders after the operation and that's where everything started from the beginning like learning to move and the prognosis was like just the surgeon and one nurse said that they think that i'm going to be able to walk someday maybe and that was all i mean i i i'm sat here just completely stunned listening to the level of detail you can remember about the accident it just uh it takes your breath away to just hear that just going back to that moment when you're lying on the ground and you're hearing your ex-girlfriend sort of shouting from the crowd as she races towards you I mean at that point there I'm assuming you weren't actually feeling any physical pain at that point because you described yourself as not being able to feel your body were you were you feeling pain at any point through that process until you woke up in hospital uh, no not really no pain no the, the first thought that i had when i recognized the situation that just happened and that i'm lying here not able to move the first thing was okay wake up that's a dream wake up and i really wanted to wake me up like come on wake up it's a dream but more and more I recognized no, it's not. It's true. Have you ever watched the accident back again? No, I, 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 I've, I've heard that there is a video of it. I, I would like to see it because I would like to understand what happened exactly. Wow, I, I find that I find that fascinating that you actually want to watch the video. That's that's amazing. You know, I've heard interviews with uh, Formula One drivers and skiers and other daredevil sports people who have terrible accidents and life-changing injuries and and some of them i've heard say they they just never ever want to see what what happened to them but you really do yeah it's it's just more because of understanding uh, it's not i don't want to see me crashing but I, i'm also not scared of it because i know what i do and i know how dangerous it is and you have to be aware of this at every moment when you woke up in the hospital and i imagine you're your memories of the actual crash itself were as vivid as they are now. So you woke up knowing what had happened to you and how bad things were. Can you talk us through some of your emotions lying in the hospital bed? Were you feeling that life had been unfair to you? The first thing is 
you always think that things happen to others <laughs> and that's the first thing that you recognize okay now it's you that something really really bad is happening uh, i mean i was aware that something like this can happen and i i was ready to risk this so i wasn't so angry or why me or something because i i have this attitude that you cannot do anything about it it happened how it had to happen i was okay with that but maybe a big part why i was okay with that was because i knew that my spinal cord is not uh, cut through that it was just crushed and i also knew that nerves can grow together and then i thought okay it's going to be fine i it, it will grow together and i was as crazy as it sounds but already on the first day in hospital i was thinking how much it will take me to be back on the slope and then through the time when i recognized and heard that spinal cord is not like a nerve and that it doesn't mean anything that it's not cut that i can stay like this forever the more i recognized this and the more i knew about this the more function i got slowly back and the, the the worst time then was when i left the rehabilitation center because in the rehabilitation center i was the star i was the guy who can walk again i was wow something very special who were the people uh, around you at that particular time who were supporting you through this and were you uh, a difficult person to be around at that time in terms of them trying to help you and and maybe you not wanting help uh, no i was i was taking help i was i was really happy about it because um and that was really really i think a big part of my um uh, rehabilitation that i had loving people around me all the time almost i was in a different uh, region in austria in the hospital but my ex-girlfriend and my parents uh were near the hospital and visiting me every day so really i had not much time to be alone and be sad and be depressive and and i also knew that if i want to be back again if i want to have a rehabilitation i have to do something my whole life is a rehab we can say that what do you mean by that mm, that means that on with a spinal cord injury it's it's never over it can always keep become at least a little bit better maybe you you can always improve you can always get some new functions if even if it's just a little bit more but just a little bit can help you a lot so that's why my whole life will stay kind of rehab and, and i really feel it if i i do less i get more spastic i have more problems with walking i, I really have to stay in movement while on the other side being careful not to do too much because then i would also get more spastic and it will be harder to move so i have to find this kind of balance of doing as much as i can but not too much <laughs> somehow there's a very funny situation in the in the hospital like the first or second day the psychologist came to me i didn't know that the psychologist and she asked started to ask me questions and, and I said like are you a psychologist right <laughs> and he said yeah and then I said I don't need you and she was wondering how 
don't you need me? It's a really hard situation. Then I told her, like, I know I'm in a really, really bad situation. It can't be worse. <laughs> and I know that's my situation. And I know that I have to move my ass and do something. Then she looked at me and said, okay, you really don't need me. And that was it. But then coming out into the normal world, I was the disabled guy needing help, not being able to do some things and having get used to not being able to tie my shoes like before that it needs five times longer. And then I can't prepare my food like before that. That was then the time where I recognized, okay, I'm in a really shitty situation right now. Then the sport took me out of this again. Were there people that you spoke to when you were going through tough times and, and rehab uh, that you thought, wow, you know, I look at that person and I think that's where I want to be in a few years time or they're a role model to me in terms of how to recover from something like this? Not really. I, I've never had some role models because I always wanted to be individual somehow. I, when I was able body racing, I had uh, people were asking the same question. I said, no, I don't want to be like someone else. I want to be better. So, yeah, maybe it's quite strange to say that, but no, I didn't have a role model. And how did your loved ones feel about you wanting to get back onto the slopes again i think that it was much harder for the loving ones watching me in this situation than for me because uh, the first thing is they knew the full truth how bad it looks because i didn't know fully how bad it looks i just knew yeah bad but it can be and the other thing is they were watching me in this situation i was not i did not see me i just i was there but i did not see me lying in this bed not being able to move with this face full of drugs and when i saw the videos and and pictures then i recognized like wow that must have been so hard for like parents watch their child lying here like that and and what about you? What, what about when you first stepped on a snowboard again? How were you feeling? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. I, I waited a long time to do this because I was a, I think, quite good snowboarder, and I did not want to just slide down the slope just to be on a snowboard. I wanted to feel ready for making some turns as well. So I waited some years. And then the first day, uh, it didn't work that good. And I was getting nervous and shouting. And yeah, it was not that fun. But I saw the potential that it can be fun again. And then I tried it. And then it worked better and better. And I was fine. And I was snowboarding and happy about it. And the first time in my life, I could just snowboard for fun when I want, not having to go on a bad weather, just when it's sunny, when it's nice, because I don't have to train for nothing. And I really enjoy this time. When you're back on the snowboard now, so whether you're in a race or you are training or you are just snowboarding for fun, is your crash always in your mind, though? Uh, no, I'm not thinking about it. If I would think about it, I could not do this because... 
one thing is you you have to have respect you have to be aware of what you're doing about the danger but you are you should never be uh, you should never have fear because if you have fear you're making a mistake that's for sure you will make a wrong decision you will react wrong so you're not allowed to have fear and there are <clears throat> moments i don't like the courses are getting faster and faster bigger and bigger there are situations which i don't like i don't like big jumps i'm i'm better now but at the beginning i had quite a struggle with big jumps i was not thinking about my accident i was not thinking about the crash but i was just not I just did not want to jump that big and then i had to talk to myself to motivate myself and when when riding on this jump i was talking to myself yeah you want it you want it yeah enjoy it yeah you want this you want this <laughs> i knew that i don't want it but i made myself want it so that that's how it worked to not have negative thoughts before the jump just to keep my mind focused and positive and you want it you want it that's cool yeah let's go jump i think one of the most amazing and unbelievable elements of your story Bruno is that just at the point where you find para snowboarding and you start to think about becoming a Paralympic snowboarder you have another accident of a different kind and and you actually break your back again don't you can you explain what happened um I was mountain biking and um I have some special construction where both brakes are on the right side so I have one break on one finger and and I can try to hold the steer with my left hand it's not a secure hold yeah and then I was a bit too motivated and I was going downhill and there was some kind of rock and I flew over the steer and hit my the ground with my head first I thought okay it's nothing but then I was lying there and i saw okay ooh, my neck is hurting something is not good and it's really really stiff but i still could move and i was lying on the back and then i suddenly start feeling tickling in my body and that was a bit similar to the tickling after the first accident when i started to feel my body again and then i pulled my uh, phone out and i called my ex-girlfriend and told her that what happened and if uh, i will call her in some minutes again maybe and she should start to drive up the mountain to pick me up and if i don't call her in some minutes and if she cannot reach me she should call the helicopter because then i'm not able to move anymore and i have my gps on so they can find me in the forest then the tickling went away and i thought okay i can move i can stand up my neck is totally stiff it felt so stiff because all the muscles around stiffened up because if you injure yourself the muscles stiffen up then i said okay everything is stiff nothing can happen i can try to push my bike out of this here and to this road and then the parking place should be here around the corner and really luckily i did not fall again because it was a bit wet went on my bike again and thought I'm going to ride to the parking place and then I came around the corner and saw oh 
the parking place is not that near, but it was already on the bike and it was going downhill. It was hurting like hell, but it was stiff. And I thought, okay, just slowly rolling down, but I made it down to the parking place, lied down on the floor. I was waiting for my girlfriend and she picked me up and we were driving to the hospital. And after the computer tomography, when the doctor came, I was like quite confident saying, and everything's okay. And then he said, no, unfortunately not. You have two vertebras broken and dislocated and it's stuck in the dislocated position. Boom. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, not again, but I could still move. So it was different. It was not that kind of big shock. And then it turned out that this dislocated situation is really bad because they don't know how to put it back. And then it turned out in a very, very um, dangerous surgery where the doctor said that I can die <laughs> again. When this, I'm always fearing death in my life. But I say, yeah, I mean, if someone can do it, then he, because he was one of the two best in Europe, I heard. I rather risk this, risk my life, than having a life where I cannot do anything because I have to take care of my neck all the time. Yeah, and then they made the surgery and it was fine. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> I had a, a, some problems then uh, during the first year of snowboarding because of the new fixation. And I thought uh, I, I have to take it out when it's grown together because I can't stand the neck pain anymore, but somehow I get, got used to it and it's still in there and I'm fine. I mean, Bruno, I, on this series, I've spoken to a lot of Paralympic athletes who have incredible backstories and, and have come through amazing things. And I've interviewed lots of Paralympians before this podcast series for, you know, radio and television who have come through incredible things. It is it is staggering to think that you came through not just one, but two serious, serious life-threatening spinal injuries. I don't know, you you know, we've we've talked about the first recovery, but I don't even begin to know how you came come through the second recovery because you must have felt, why is this all happening again? And And, you know, am I destined to just, I don't know, just kind of keep having these these traumas i i just can't i can't i can't i know i'm meant to be a sort of you know lucid journalist here asking you questions but i just cannot get my head around how you come back from a second time yeah that's that's a good point that you mentioned because i really started to think something like okay maybe i have a mission here i, I think that things happen to people they can stand it that you always get the portion of shit that you can stand, let's say it like that. So it seems that somebody or something meant that I can stand it. And and maybe this is important for other people to see my story and to motivate them. And, and this kind of view helped me to say, okay, I'm here. I, I, I'm going through this for others to make others see that things are not so bad as they seem. It was also the, the, the people that were close to me at the, during the first accidents, they were all like, oh my God, after I saw this, I don't have any problems. Why I'm complaining about this and that. 
that's the situations where I say, okay, I, it has a meaning what happened to me. I really change people's minds and motivate people. And the bad things that happened to me are doing good things to others. And yeah, maybe that's the reason why I had to go through all this. And if, if it's this, I'm okay with it. One of the aims of these podcasts is to highlight some of the barriers that society puts in the way for some people with disabilities, either in a sporting context or actually possibly better away from sport, just in your ordinary life. What are the biggest barriers you face? It's maybe the thing that for the most people, I don't look disabled at the first moment, especially if I don't use the wheelchair, if I walk around. They think that I'm fine. And then there are situations, for example, if I fall down on the street, the people think that I'm drunk, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm just disabled and I fell down and they're looking at me like I'm a drunk. And it's more this kind of situation where people look strange or where, where a, a grandma in the bus wants me to stand up for her. It's hard to explain that I'm also disabled and need this seat. And then I just stand up and give her the seed and okay. <laughs> so it's more this situation. It's a kind of different, I think, to other disabled people. I, I'm laughing, Bruno, because uh, I have an artificial leg and I've been on a train. Okay. This <laughs> is bringing it all back to me. I've been on a train where there was me, I was sat in the seat and then a pregnant lady arrived and needed a seat. And then an old man with a walking stick arrived and the three of us all kind of looked at each other. And obviously the other passengers were looking at me because you couldn't tell I had an artificial leg. And there was this really funny moment where I I kind of like stood up. And then I think the pregnant lady recognized that I might have some sort of disability with my legs. And she said, no, 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 it's fine, fine, fine. And then the old man went to take the seat. And I said, no, no, hold on. I'm not standing up for you. I'm standing up for her. <laughs> and there was just this real kind of comedy scene. It, you could have had it on some kind of comedy film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, so I know exactly what you mean when a, a, a leg disability, if I can be as crude as that, is not, is not obvious, is not visible you can have all these kind of embarrassing situations. Yeah, yeah it, 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 you just it, made yeah. me uh, remember all that and laugh. I think I know what your answer is going to be, but when you look back over your life and everything that's happened to you, would you change anything? I think mm, it's a really hard question. <laughs> but I think I would choose my life as it is again because I had hard times but I had really good times and the hard times make the good times better <laughs> and more intense and I think we are all going through what we have to I, I think there is nothing I could have chosen different because you cannot. It's, I think it's kind of meant. It's it's quantum physics for me, and everything is following the rules, and your thoughts and the, are following the same physical rules. And I think that even if you have this free choice, I think the, this free choice and our choice is already set up. So there is not for me. I should done this. I should done that or not. 
it happened how it had to happen and I had no chance to do it different. <laughs> and that helps me some kind of say, okay, that's it and live with it and do the best out of it. So yeah, I think I will take it as it is again. Sure, it could be better, but it could be worse. And I could be dead already or even stayed in my situation after the first accident. So I was lucky again. And as I said, it could be worse. So I'm fine. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure and honour, really, Bruno, to uh, to speak to you. Um, I've learned so much and I, I know I'll be thinking about this interview for a long time and I'm sure people listening will be too. So thank you so much for not just your time, but obviously your honesty and, and reliving all those painful experiences again. Yeah, thank you for your invitation. It was a really nice talk and yeah, we were very private, but I think that some people uh, can use some of this information and and i hope that i can help people find their way stay on their way stay motivated and 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 fight for their dreams goodbye and thank you again till next time well one of the most remarkable interviews of my career breathtaking honesty and detail there from bruno bosniak as he recounted the crash that paralysed him and described his subsequent heroics. I'm sure that some of the things he said there will stay with you, as they have done with me. One of the things Bruno said was that you can't afford to have fear, because fear will cause you to make a mistake. And that's a comment that will ring true for my guest next week too. We stick to the Winter Paralympics as I chat to Ali Velazquez, who went from the beaches of Cancun in Mexico to the mountains of Vancouver, Sochi and Pyeongchang. A mountain biker turned sit skier, we talk danger, calculating risk and baking. Yes, don't miss that one. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and listen to earlier episodes with the likes of Grace Wembelua, Ellen Keane and actor RJ Mitty.